Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. You are listening to Tennis Channel Live, the podcast on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We've got the game, the names, and the insight you need to stay covered on all the courts. All right, we're here on the TC Live podcast yet again. Got a big special show for you this week. A special guest as well, Mitch Michaels. You can find every episode on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. The Hall of Famer, man of many Hall of Fames, Leif Shiras, is in the building in the studio for this show. Recent member of the USTA Midwest Section Hall of Fame, Leif. Thanks for sh- joining the show. And uh, I got to ask you, how many Hall of Fames are you in now? <laughs> it's great to be here, Mitch. Um, I wanted to get on, the, you know, I wanted to get on the TC podcast. Yeah, I've right. been with TC since I'm going to say the second match that they ever broadcast. Oh, wow. uh, I go back a long way with TC, so it's a real sense of family I have here. Uh, It was uh, in Indianapolis when I got in the Midwest Tennis Hall of Fame. It was a a great uh, time, a real honor for me. And uh, that's the second one that Mm. I've been in. I was in the College Tennis Hall of Fame, so I've got a a couple that uh, lean years that I took advantage of those lean years. (laughs) you got to get Princeton to kind of do the proper recognition, you know, retirement, jersey, and all that. One day, one day. But you know what's interesting about the Midwest Hall? I mean, it's such an honor for me because I can remember when I was young going to an event in Janesville, Wisconsin, and Mm. I saw Mike Cahill, John Whitlinger, Tim and Tom Gullickson, all these guys who – eventually came out of Wisconsin. They were cheeseheads, yet they all became pro players. So it's a, it was nice to have some players that could give you some inspiration. That Oh, I could maybe do this. You know, I ended up playing college tennis mm-hmm. like all those guys did, and then ultimately to the pros. So uh, as Tom Gullickson said to me, he says, it's good to know that, you know, Wisconsin can produce tennis players and not just curling champions. <laughs> <laughs> they got a nice little wing in there, though. For the next generation, too, they, Wisconsin has some Hall of Famers in there and can – inspire more and more players but again congrats to that and you mentioned calling all those matches one of my favorite calls that you had uh that i don't think a lot of people know about you just happened to be on the broadcast and you pointed out one of the funnier moments remember was uh when Federer, i think he was playing curios and said we need a clown for this circus i think you're on the call for that one too so uh but we have to transition to Federer because he's the story this week on uh, the t5 podcast it's unfortunate, but he's not going to be playing for a while. Had the arthroscopic knee surgery. He's out for Indian Wells, Miami, and Roland Garros, which was going to be, I think, the only clay court tournament he was going to play. He'll be back for the grass court season, but this is an injury and a procedure relief that a lot of people have. I think we look at it differently with Federer at his age, with his schedule being managed meticulously, and with some injuries in the past, it was the groin in Australia. Not sure what this means for the future of Federer. I think we all want to see him come back and playing at a high level, but I do think you have to be a little, be a little hesitant, be a little pessimistic when you consider his age and the miles on that tennis body. Yeah. No, I, I think, you know, no one knows how to manage his body, his schedule, his career better than Roger Federer does his. Um, I think the guy on his team that, you know, he has to look, I mean, he's got all these great tennis people behind him. Ivan Lubacic, his current coach is one guy, but Pierre Panini, mm-hmm. the physical 
uh, side of the game that Roger has. This guy takes care of him, his body, and I think he's going to be able to manage Roger through this. Obviously, they'll get the surgery. That operation's been done. And I think in terms of rehab, he's going to be there. I think he's going to be able to manage this. He seems to manage everything pretty well. And anytime you have surgery, though, you're going to be wary. But I, I think Roger's going to come back. I'm sure disappointing for him is missing Indian Wells in Miami. Obviously, mm-hmm. those two events he always plays well at and won Miami last year. Um, the good news for him is that despite missing all these tournaments and losing you know, all these wonderful ranking points he's built up from last year, I think he's still going to stay in the top 10. He'll get a good high seated Wimbledon based on the grass court formula that yeah. Wimbledon has. So I think he's going to be a good place coming back. And uh, Roger is so good at managing adversity. I think he's going to be fine. Well, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because he lost in the finals at Indian Wells, won Miami. For a lot of players, that'd be just catastrophe to miss that. We saw um, Albert in Delray Beach just limp into that match because he was the defending champion, felt like he had to play. He's going to probably drop by. It's hard to know exactly, but around 8-9 in that range when all the points fall off, we don't know if return for the grass court means play in Hanhala in Germany or not. But the grass court formula, they love him. He's like a beetle in England. <laughs> They're going to take care of him there. And that formula is a little weird. It's, it's, I'm glad you brought that up. It's not necessarily based on ranking. It's past results. It's like it's ranking plus past results. And, and what I've read is he's probably going to be in the top four at Wimbledon. Yeah, I think it's you know, three or four based on today's numbers, rough numbers. But I think it's what one hundred percent of your grass court results from last year. Seventy five percent a win and a final loss. Exactly. And, a breaker. and then seventy five percent of your grass court results from two years ago added to your current ranking. So mm. it, he's going to be in a very good place because of how well oh, he's yeah. done on grass. So if he can be healthy for Halla, you know, would he play Stuttgart? That's a possibility too. You know, would he put in a couple of weeks even before Wimbledon? Who knows. Um, when he gets on the grass, his game comes together. It just flows so naturally for him. And the way he moves around the court, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a nice return for Roger. And that's somebody too, that I think we've, we've both kind of shared this opinion that he's taking time off to extend his career. There's probably, and I don't know specifically about this injury, but there's probably been times where he could have powered through just, I'm going to keep it going as long as I can. And he might not be playing at the high level he is now. I don't know what his goal was to play. You know, he's going to play the French Open, but that's usually just a play for the fans in Paris, like play competitively. I don't know if realistically he thought he was going to win that tournament over Nadal and what he's been able to do. But uh, I'm, I'm excited to see him again. It's just 38. We're, we're at that point where you never know. Even the great Roger Federer, everybody gets old. All your heroes will eventually, you know, be put out to their athletic careers pasture. So, uh, I just want to see Federer play as, as long as possible, and we are on the back nine, as they say. Yeah, no, and I think all of us do. I mean, we all enjoy watching Roger play. We like to see him matching up against the best in the game. We like to see him matching up against uh, sort of the next generation of players. I mean, that, that makes for some brilliant tennis moments. I think his return to clay court tennis, I think part of the problem for him was that he was taking time off, and he felt like, I, I wanted to go play, you know? Yeah. So he came back and played well. Last year, what, quarterfinals Madrid, quarterfinals Rome, and then uh, semifinals in Roland Garros. So he played well on the clay. I mean, yeah. he, would be, he'd be considered a top 10 player on clay. Oh. And it's such a physical game now, and I think that's where the challenge is for him. Probably best to, you know, don't come back on the clay where it's going to be a physical test, and, you know, that's maybe going to be a step too far for him. Come back on the grass where really you are probably the best Ever on grass? I think that's safe uh, to say. I, I think I think we can say that. That's not exactly <laughs> a hot take, but 
all the best to Federer as, as he gets ready to make that comeback in a couple months. We've Shiris here on the TC Live podcast. Let's talk to some of the current action. We're in February. It's the Tennis Junkies Month, I like to say. We're playing all over the globe, lots of different surfaces. The women have a premier event in Dubai, and that has been... I think madness is a good way to put it, Leaf, because we've always talked about how unpredictable the women's game has been. A lot of first-time major champions. I would honestly say, and this goes into the Kleister's comeback that we'll dive into in a second, but this might be the most unpredictable format. You get a 32-person, 32-woman main draw. you got great competitors right from the get-go, and anything can happen. And look at who the four semifinalists were. <laughs> Halep, Martich, Raya Bikina, and uh, Jen Brady. So... I was shocked to see what we saw, some great runs, some disappointments, but it's been entertaining. Yeah, and one of the recurring themes on the, in the women's game has been players struggling with success. You know, Belinda Bencic, the defending champ, comes back to that event. She's defending her success there. She's defending a top 10 ranking. She's, you know, suddenly back in the mix where really we all thought she should be. And she She's goes, like number four right now. Yeah, she goes out first round. It's just <laughs> stunning how, you know, it's unpredictable in the women's game. Who's going to come through? And you look, you know, Jen Brady had a brilliant week, a couple of great wins. She also beat uh, Ash Barty in Australia. So she's picked up wins, and suddenly she's playing like a player who could maybe be top 20. Mm. Could you even say, geez, with the player she's beating, could she be top 10? I mean, I don't think there's anything in the women's game to suggest she couldn't do it. It that seems she to be make, so, yeah. so wide open. It's that, wide open. That she's, she could make a run at a slam even. I mean, Brady, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the UCLA Bruin, another college tennis <laughs> player right. getting some love, f- fighting out of uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But she is somebody that had never beat anyone in the top 20 until this year. Now she has three of them, two in this tournament. This Fidelina match, she just beat her down. Like, that wasn't even competitive. So she hits it well. She's, she's playing with confidence for probably the first time in her young professional career. That was a great run to see. I was also inspired by Halep having to dig deep to win some of these matches. The Jabour match that was very intense. A lot of crowd support for the Tunisian there. Uh, she wins that one. She battles through and gets to the to the final already. I mean, she's the she's been the most consistent player, I think, year round, I'd say. It might be a it might be a brash thing to say, but I feel like in a game that is very unpredictable, I trust Halep maybe more than the others to at least bring a high level of tennis and force other players to beat her. Yeah. Absolutely. And one last thought on Jen Brady. I mean, the key for her has been the new coach, mm-hmm. Michael Gesser. This is a guy who worked with um, uh, the German for a long time, uh, just blanking on it. But this is a coach who is very accomplished, can take players to the high level. And uh, with Jen Brady, something has clicked. You know, the mm-hmm. collaboration has worked. I think she's comfortable on the court. She's starting to use her weapons wisely. And I think her game is nice. She's got a nice underspin backhand. I think if you can have an underspin backhand in the women's game, it takes that ball out of the strike zone. The women tend to like that high target. And, you know, you possess that with a weapon on the forehand side and a good serve, which she has. You put those ingredients together and you've got some good ideas in your head about how to play. You're going to make great things happen. It's working for her. So, uh, um, but Simone Halep, yeah, just to get back to her, she's, I think she sets a standard for consistent play. Mm -hmm. Her game reflects that. Um, she's not the most creative player, but there's something to be said about being dependable. And she fights. Yes, and she's a great competitor. Yeah. She's learned how to compete over uh-huh. the years. I think Darren Cahill has in, sort of instilled in her <laughs> yeah. how to get it done, and she's figured that out. She's grown as a person and as a player, and that's why she's consistently at the top four spots in the game. 
Yeah, and one last note I'll just say on Brady. I was at that Indian Wells match last year where Barty just pushed her around, wasn't playing with confidence to see her beat Barty this year and turn it around. It's been great. Uh, but Halps in the final, beats Brady. Uh, she's going to play Rivakina, who beat Martich, who had that run at the French Open, is another player that can just get hot at tournaments. But Rivakina, 20 years old, now representing Kazakhstan, was a semifinalist in a couple junior majors in 2017. But I ask you, and I ask this to someone that follows tennis, where did this come from? Well, you know, again, <laughs> another another player emerging. You know, I yeah. think with so many different players achieving big things, mm-hmm. I think a lot of players in the locker room feel like, hey, I could do this. Mm-hmm. And Rybakina is really an amazing player. I mean, she hits the ball, and I, you know, my tennis channel colleague Lindsay Davenport possesses some of the great ground strokes of all time. Mm-hmm. Rybakina hits the ball in a similar way. Great two-handed backhand power and length on the forehand, and it's all dependable. I mean, her weapons off the ground look like they're going to go in every time. So I'm not surprised by the results she's having right now when I see her hit the ball, how she plays the game. And at such a young age, I mean, she's got a tremendous future. And, again, she's going to learn, have more confidence, start winning more and more matches. Again, she's going to be a deep run in a major this year potentially too. And So put that name (laughs) on the list. We've got so many women who could do great things at majors. And she's another one of them. I think it's going to be a tough matchup against Halep, uh, a consistent player in Halep against someone with consistent power like Rybakina. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, the Kazakh has some real chances, but I, I think I think Halep's going to get her. A little experience will win over the day. It certainly seems like it, but a lot of potential and a lot of uh, future success, we think, on the horizon for Rybakina. Uh, she beat Kennan in the first round. I just want to mention quickly, we talk about handling success. I'm not going to give her a pass, but I just want to see more from post-major winner, life-changing moment Sophia Kennan had in Australia. She did play the Fed Cup, a lot of travel, maybe maybe a little jet lag, maybe not at her best. Rybakina is a good player. I'm not I'm not ready to say that Kennan's going to be in that one-and-done mold. I, I still think there's time to see. You know, it is tough. It drains a lot out of you, not just winning the major and, and going through all the press tour, but going that deep into a tournament playing that many physical matches. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I, the one thing about Kennan that she has that I think sets her apart from some of the other women is her competitiveness. I mean, this is something she's wanted from a very young age. But don't you think that when she stalks around the court, like I, I watch it and I'm fascinated <laughs> because most players, you think they're about to have a meltdown, but she actually zones in and plays better. Yeah, no, she, I'm telling you, she has got it between the ears. And I think that's a significant factor in her getting to where she is as the top American ahead of Serena, I think it's going to be one of the reasons she's going to stay where she is. I think she's going to be a top tenner consistently because of how strong she is mentally. I think she can still grow her game, understand a little bit more, you know, the ability to take the ball in the air at the right mm-hmm. times, play with a little more variety, but she's got it going. She's great. I, I like her game a lot. She's got it going on, and I didn't even plan this segue, but it's perfect. <laughs> Let's go to her mentor, Kim Kleisters. Yeah who had her comeback at Dubai, which I'm, I'm going to say it again. This is, it might, I think it's more difficult to come back here than at a major because you're, you're jumping right into the battleground. You take a wild card here. She got was supposed to play Burton's first round. Burton's pulls out after winning St. Petersburg. It's Muguruza first round. It was two sets straight, but it looked like it was going to be a bloodbath beatdown. Down a double break in the second, she got it back to a tie break, saved a match point, and then eventually lost. It was more encouraging than I thought it would be. I, I was very... 
pessimistic going into this match with what Kleisters would bring to the table at 36, but she actually showed that there might be something left in the tank there. Oh, no. She went through, I thought, a couple of patches in the course of the match where she looked like her old self, hitting with depth and pace, opening up the court with her backhand, great two-handed backhand. I thought she competed pretty well. So I, I, despite the loss, she should take a lot of positives from that. It reminded me a little bit of watching Jack Sock come back and mm. play matches after really having been away from the game for a while with six months with the, the thumb injury and all that. I mean, you just have to shake off the rust. You cannot come out and play great match after great match. And so that's why both Kim and Jack had these patchy sort of moments in their play. But then they hit a run where they were really good for a period of time. You thought she might take a set on Mugu. Didn't happen for Kim, but I'd watch out for her. You don't want to see her in your section of the draw. That's for sure. No, and, you know, it's also worth pointing out. She is 36. She's had a couple kids. Hasn't played a match since the U.S. singles match since the U.S. Open in 2012. I mean, we're, Amazing, we're on, right? We're going on eight years. Um, and she's got three kids. I mean, she, she's busy with her family. She gets to the net pretty well. She's creative out there. She's smart. We, we know about the resolve and that heart of a champion that she has. Also important to note, she's come back from a hiatus not nearly this long, but when she came back from that two-year hiatus, 07-09, she actually did come back and win three more three of her four majors in that stretch. I know this is difficult, but I do think that her creativeness, her ability to get to net, which you don't necessarily see on the women's game as much. Yeah, I, I don't know what the goal is for this comeback, other than just to prove that you, you still have something left and you can play competitively. But yeah, the, she's setting herself up to be that tricky player that nobody wants to see that can score a top 10 win. It would not shock me if that's the case soon. Yeah, and I think you know when Kim was... You know, young playing at the top 10. I mean, it was pretty crowded up there. You know, Lindsay Davenport, Justine and and Serena, Venus. Uh, it was really competitive at the very top of the mm -hmm. game. The elite, there were more elite yeah. players at that time. I think now you've got, you know, a couple of elite players. You've got Serena Williams still hanging in. And I think a lot of the women at the top of the game are sort of at a level that Kim Kleisters can compete at consistently with. I, I think yeah. the women's game is deeper than it's ever been but maybe not as many dominant players right. at the top, which means that I think Kim Kleister has got us some room to get involved in the top. When you brought up another good point, all the names you said, historic champions are some of the most mentally resolved ever. Yeah, These are younger players at the top that might not be there all together mentally yet in their it's, careers. It's a good point. It's, a, it's so true. And when you get to the elite level, when you're in the second week of majors, you're playing for big trophies. Boy, so much of it comes down to, you know, what you're thinking about, what have you got in your head at these moments? You know, how can I play my best tennis under the most pressure. And Kleister's is someone who can deal with that. She certainly can. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. And here on the TC Live podcast, having some fun with Leaf Shot in this February month of a lot of tennis all across the globe. Uh, another comeback. We'll go to Delray right now because I want to touch on some things there. Jack Sock coming back, getting his first win on tour in about two years. He beats the defending champ Albert in three sets. He ends up losing to Steve Johnson in three uh, to get eliminated from that tournament. But it was nice to see Sock back on the court and actually have some success. He, he did break down a little after and talked about how he was close to walking away and how tough it had been. I can't really imagine the fall from grace because we haven't seen one like that in a very long time. He was in the ATP finals, then goes to suddenly not being able to win a match. So it was great to see 
I think the comeback, like you mentioned, Leaf, is going to just take more reps. So the biggest thing I take away from this is he does have that A-level game deep down there. What's the path going to be? Is he going to go challengers, qualifiers? Is he going to try to just get that wild card into qualifying? That, I'm, I'm curious to see what the journey looks like from Sock from here on out. Yeah, and I think we all are because I think we know the talents he possesses, how well he played that year in Paris at the Masters Series, and then again at the O2. We know this guy can play. Um, again, it's a little bit about you know how he feels about himself, how he feels about his game. You know, and he saved a match point by mm-hmm. the way against Radawalbot, and he hit a smash, and it was very close to the sideline. He nearly missed it. Ended up converting that point and winning the match. Played pretty well against Stevie Johnson, but I think he tired at the end of the Mm -hmm. match. Stevie won the third set pretty decisively. So, again, he's got to play some matches. I think physically he needs to get in better shape. Uh, Maybe that's been the knock on Jack that he maybe doesn't prepare like Mm -hmm. some of the guys do now. I mean, Mm -hmm. it seems like in this era, everyone is putting that time in the gym, as much time in the gym as they're putting in on the court. getting that cardio up. Exactly, and I, I think Jack has to improve that side of his game. We know he's got the skills, you know, mm-hmm. big weapons, dependable weapons, and that can make him a top 10 player, which he was. Can he get back there? I don't know. Again, he's got to play matches. Mm-hmm. I think he's got to be willing to maybe dip down and play some challenger tennis. I'm not sure he's as open to that as some players. Yeah. But I think you've got to get down there, get dirty, win some tough matches, and then you know, hopefully he'll get back to being a consistent uh, participant at the ATP level. Right, that worked for Agassi back in the day, went down and played some challengers. That's right, and- Agassi. Did, I mean, almost all the guys who have had experienced a dip in their ranking, whether because of injury or poor even, play. Even Nishikori recently went for down sure. and played and got back to the top 10. Won the Dallas Challenger, yeah. did Nish. So, I mean, you have to go down and reacquaint yourself with the winning habit. And that means the combination, the physical, the mental, and your shots under pressure that uh, happened for you. So... Uh, it's going to be up to Jack. And again, I think he also needs to surround himself with good people. You know, yeah, that's, that's going to be a key. That's a big thing. Uh, and I think mentally getting past that now he's won a match could be a big roadblock to the road back to playing well. You know, and I always say about the best ever, like Djokovic and Nadal Federer, the best ever. To me, what makes them more than any of the records is that they were all knocked off their perch, dug deep, and battled back. It's easy to, to, to have a great attitude and, and be comfortable when you're winning and everything's going well. You get knocked off. You get you get humbled a little bit. It's tough to hit that gym again and, and want to put the time in. Yeah, so. and and that's where it's not about your bank account anymore. Mm-hmm. You're not playing. Those guys have got so much money. They're not worried about no. that. It's about their character, what they love, the passion they have for the game, and you know, players who are outside that top three, they need to have that same sort of passion, that same sort of commitment, and no doubt that's a part of it. Can you make the comeback? I mean. How many times did Tommy Haas come back? <laughs> I think he was comeback player of the year three times on the ATP tour. He had, what, three or four, maybe it's, five or six shoulder surgeries, yeah. wrist surgeries. So, you know, he came back. He made his way back. His passion for the game was important. So you don't have to come back and win majors, but you want to come back and be the competitive self that you once were. And hopefully you can get back there. Tommy Haas is great because the, the craziest stat is that his last match win was Federer. Yeah, like, that's it. He's just I'm walking done. off. Yeah. He should have retired right then and there. <laughs> Uh, looking at Delray and just kind of a bigger picture discussion based on who's left, you see TFO still around Johnson, Milos. These are players that have struggled recently as recently as last week for a few of them. And, uh, we're going to preview all the action at the end, but I just want to mention that I think it, it, it kind of is an indicative thing about the schedule leave to me is that some of these players, like we saw Edmund win New York pull out immediately. Sangren has a run in Australia and then immediately loses to Steve Johnson in New York. The travel, the amount of tennis, 
with maybe the pool being a little deeper, I'm curious to hear your thought on this, but I feel like week to week, the consistency is kind of hard to manage at this point because you're getting into a big match right away, one tournament to the next. I think it could be tough to maintain that high level for some of these players on the fringe. Absolutely. I mean, that's the challenge. How do I perform my best consistently? How do I make those adjustments on the fly to what my opponent is doing on the day? How do I adjust to the conditions that week? The balls are a little different. This court speed. I mean, it is a really tough game these days. And I think part of it is these young guys have to play as much tennis as they can and get as much match play as they can. I mean, John McEnroe would play week to week singles and doubles. So whenever I see a guy go through and win a tournament and then pull out the next week. I'm always a little surprised by that because I feel like, gosh, when you get that winning habit and when you start feeling good about yourself and you've got the momentum, which is a tough thing in sport to find, once you have the momentum, I think you should go play that next week. You know, tough it out. You know, yeah. force yourself to play, make that bounce back. And again, start solving questions again when you've got confidence and when you've got momentum. Yeah, you want to maintain your health, but you also want to get those reps in. McEnroe, famous, right, for that was his practice was doubles. Right. I don't want to practice. I'll just play doubles and be maybe the best ever I mean, <laughs> at doubles. This guy, I mean, McEnroe was just amazing. I mean, he would play singles, win the title, play the doubles. You know, guys are already going to the airport. He's playing the doubles to finish off the doubles. Um, so he, he was an example of wanting to keep the rhythm going. And you're right. He didn't love practice. Who does? But <laughs> yeah. playing matches and making a little bit of money. Back in the day, I mean, Peter Fleming and John McEnroe, I remember talking with Peter Fleming. I forget what year it was. I think I want to say 75, 76. They won 17 doubles titles. I said, what was the prize money like then, Peter? And he said, yeah, I think I probably made about 100 grand. 17 <laughs> titles. Insane. And they made maybe 100, 120 grand. I'm like, geez. I mean, that's a lot of winning tennis. So the rewards weren't as great then. Maybe you can understand why guys were playing more. Yeah, you know, because Jimmy Connor said that at one point when he was playing to be number one, to make the big money in the 70s, you had to be with the best player in the world. Now everyone's making the big money and you've got to find maybe a different motivation. You know, right. you have to find that passion and that deep sense of winning and pride that you have to take out on the court. Back in the day, you wanted yeah. to play a lot. You needed to pay the bills. I think that was another, I think that relates to uh, golf. I think it was the late, great Arnold Palmer who said something along the lines of like, I didn't get my first plane until I won like multiple majors and in the 90s. <laughs> like all these guys have planes yeah. now. So yeah, well, I mean, I just want to see some consistency, especially the young Americans that were trying to get elevated there. It's nice to see Stevie and Francis uh, have a little run and maybe build upon some success here. Uh, and, you know, and I think along those same lines, I think America needs to have a guy in the top 10, like John Isner has been for a while. I know he's dipped down. I think yeah. it's nice to have leadership at the mm -hmm. top of the game. So having a guy like Sock back in the mix, mm -hmm. Isner trying to get back to health, I think we need a guy who's going to be around in the second week of majors, giving American tennis a flag to fly on the biggest stages in the world. I mean, it's got to help the game and help sort of, you know, pass it along to the next generation. Right, eight in the top 100, I think, but no one really a threat in majors, and that's where we're kind of kind of getting. And that's where American women's tennis is so brilliant. <laughs> what have we got? 12 to 17 girls in the top 100. Yeah. And we've got, you know, three or four or five American women who are winning majors. It's it's a remarkable time for American women's tennis. And a couple on deck for sure that look like they're, <laughs> yes. they're coming soon. Uh, one more thing I want to mention on Rio, the uh, tournament in South America. There's a clay court tournament going on right now. Pretty wild. It's crazy, uh, right? It's pretty, it's pretty crazy. Uh, it's not April. It's it? not no, April. It's no, it's, it's like, it's, ba it's basically in that hybrid <laughs> month. Uh, team beat Munar, the up-and-coming Spanish kid, an adult academy kid, in a tough third set. There's been questions about team's health. I want to ask you whether you think 
maybe the struggle in that match and going forward, the health thing, or if that loss to Djokovic were, that was about as defeated as I've heard him sound after because he knew he had the chance in that match and it got away. Do you think this is going to linger for him? I know guys like Federer and Nadal can put losses behind them and rebound, but it's tough when you've never won a major and you've been close as close as ever as team was against Djokovic. Yeah, well, a set away, wasn't he? Yeah. Two mm-hmm. sets to one up and playing really wonderful tennis and Novak looking like he was physically a bit uh, troubled. So, you know, I I hate to say that I've, you know, that that's going to stick with him, but I, th- those are the little marks and the scars you get as a player. That's going to add to his experience. Hopefully he can put it beside him. When I saw him play on the clay, he looked good physically. I thought mm-hmm. he looked, you know, we looked at some of his matches and fought him, hitting the ball great, competing well. I, I think he's... I don't think he's going to be have any sort of setback from that loss. So uh, I, I think team is ready to go. I think he's getting on a surface that he <laughs> yeah. loves. He'll play well. I mean, obviously won the title in Indian Wells on a hard court. That was his first sort of breakthrough at a Masters series level. So um, I expect great things again from him this year. He's one of those guys in the top 10 who is going to be around the top 10 for a while, I think. What's the hot button topic on team? It's does he play too much tennis? I feel like we've had that yeah. debate for the last four years. I, I do think he'll start to curtail a bit his schedule as he's in that mid to late 20s range. But much like Federer in the early 2000s or the mid to late 2000s, he's the second best clay court tennis player. We've seen that in the last two years. Just so happens that the best is the greatest by a mile <laughs> of all time. So yeah, he'll be a threat if he's healthy yeah. in the French and he'll win some titles and, uh, you know, He's got a lot of tennis left in him, and the fitness is what stands out to me. This is a guy that could thump with anybody for four or five hours. Yeah, no, he's got an amazing foundation, strong legs, and I, I think he's got the beating heart of a champion, no doubt about that. The way he competes and the way he prepares, you know, he's just he's right there, man. I love that that he said he wants to win one while they're around. Love that. <laughs> he want, He's like, I want to beat the best. It'll mean more. It certainly will. Last note from that tournament, uh, Carlos Alcaraz. 16, yeah, remember that name. Remember 16 that name. years old. And I sent you that document that, that lists like all the players that won the first match in their birth year. 2003 we're up to. We haven't gotten 2002 yet. Obviously, 2001 was the Italian Yannick Sinner. But Alcaraz beats Vinolas, who's no scrub. This isn't, <laughs> this isn't just like a, a tomato can, as they say. <laughs> he wins that match, comes back, he has a good match the next round, gets knocked out. But 16 years old, first youngest Spaniard since Nadal to win a match at that age. And uh, also said, you know, he likes Rafa, but he models his game after Federer with the aggression. So I loved his comments about that. that let's fun. buy some stock in him because yeah. he's got a good game and, and obviously still developing and still growing. He says Rafa's his idol, and what a wonderful guy to look up to. But he says, I play like Federer, and if you do watch him play, accelerates on the forehand. He does have a two-hander, uh, not a one like Roger, but he, he hits through the backhand beautifully. So he's got great and again, dependable weapons off the ground. He is willing to come forward. And at 16, you just have to admire his sense and understanding of how to play the game, where to hit the shots. He plays drop shots very skillfully. He can play with pace, depth. This guy's got a future. He's very, very good. You know, we always start char- you know, marching out the comparisons of Richard Gasquet, who was winning matches at 14-15, and these breakthroughs at the challenger level for Felix Auger-Aliassime at, at 16. And this is a guy who won his first ATP match at 16. Pretty impressive against a Spaniard in Ramos Vinolas, who's a, a tough customer, a top 50 guy. So it... it Good signs for this young man. We're going to watch him closely. Good signs for sure. Don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but if you look at that list, not all of those guys panned out. Right. So that's the thing. Like, yep. there's no guarantee here. 
There's no guarantee. You're absolutely right. But I just he just seems to have qualities about him. And we talked about players surrounding themselves with good people. He's got Juan Carlos Ferrero in his corner, a former yeah. world number one, a very solid guy. Um, and I think he's going to, at least it seems, they're talking about saying the right things. And when he gets out on the court, he just looks comfortable. He doesn't seem to show much temper. He seems to think through times in a match. So he's, he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders for someone so young. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, he's another guy. Like, we get to a certain age. I'm saying all these guys can win majors. Like, Nico, our buddy Ferrero last week, was like, wow, bold. Do you think Rublev can win? Federer and Nadal Djokovic are going to be, it's going to be like opening up a, a new lane on the freeway. <laughs> look, look, look what's happened on the women's side of the game. Yeah. You know, Serena, Venus, a lot of these women have stepped aside, getting older, and suddenly the gates are open and a lot of young women are stepping into the, the breach saying, hey, I can do this. I can win majors. And they've got a number of them. Imagine what's going to happen when Roger, Rafa step aside. I mean, will Grigor Dimitrov win a title? Milos Raonic has been in a Grand Slam final. You've got so many players who've knocked on the door um, who will probably go through. But the most amazing <laughs> one, though, is, Mitch, I know this one, you know this, that there hasn't been a change in the top two in the men's games from the big four since... 2005. I think it was Andy Roddick or Leighton Hewitt. So yeah. just wow. getting into the top two has been tough mm. to crack, much less the Grand Slam winner's circle. Our decade in review show, we talked about having the same three as we did the decade before. It's unbelievable, right? Well, it's been the eight years now yeah. that Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic have been in the top three when they finish the year in top three. It's unprecedented. Oh, incredible. Andy Murray needs more respect for just <laughs> hanging in there as long as he did. And, you know, Murray, I mean, the guy's won over 30 titles and major titles, all in this era where it's been incredibly competitive. Incredible. Leave Shira's Tennis Channel Live podcast. As we wrap up like we always do on this Friday, we're going to look at the weekend, a lot of tournaments, a lot of uh, exciting action. Marseille's going on right now. We haven't really talked about that, but... Sits a pass into the semifinals. Uh, Chapo loses another one, which was kind of, uh, you know, he's had it up and down, mostly down year so far using the Bublik. Sitsipas was the defending champ last year. Like him to have another run, probably win it. But I want Felix's first title. We've been waiting for it. Like, he's been close. <laughs> like, he actually played Rio last year while yeah. in the final. And if he plays Sitsipas, he's beaten him a bunch before. Yeah, no, he's got a nice game to match up with Sitsipas. Um, I, I feel like... Felix hasn't played his best tennis, but he's finding ways to win this week. And, you know, this is a very resourceful guy. We talk about this guy, Alcaraz, with a good head on his shoulders. Felix just seems to have a great sense of himself, the game, treats it with respect, and has moments where, again, he, he thinks his way through, plays exceptionally well, super balanced game. I like this guy. I think he's got a great chance this weekend. Indoor hardcourt is a really good sort of condition and surface for him. So I think he's got a shot to do it. Good field, too, with Medvedev playing right now uh, in a tight one with Jill Simone. But that's a pretty good field. Uh, the women's side, we just mentioned Halep and Rybakina. We kind of talked about that. I'm with you. I think Halep wins the match. But I do think Rybakina has the game where if Halep's a little off and, and she's you know not getting that first serve in, this could be the this could be her coming out party on that national stage, much like Bench had used it to propel a good twenty nineteen year. Exactly. Ago. No, and and listen, Holop's gonna have to play well. I don't think she can sort of scrape by because I think Ribakina just hits the ball too well. And she can hit through the court. So I think Holop has to be a little more aggressive minded and and try and make this Kazakh player move. I mean, if you give her time on the ball, she's gonna hurt you. She's gonna beat you. So uh, I think Holop's gotta play exceptionally well. 
Should be fun to watch. Rio, we talked about team. Chorich is still in it. Green, I think. I don't think that match is done yet. I think he's still alive as well. Uh, I didn't even realize that was Court's brother. I was like, is that his son? Like, how old is this right? guy? I'm like, oh, that's his brother, 10 years younger than him. It's a it's a really nice play. He's come through the quality. He's won two, yeah. three set matches. Federico yeah. Correa. Great yeah. name. A little up there. In age. Like, I thought he was super <laughs> young. He's, he's about in mid-20s yes. already. So yeah. uh, he's nice one player. to look at for sure. Uh, team should should take care of business. He's also playing, now that Federer is out, we know that the number three ranking spot is going to be his. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I like uh, I like George's clay court game to be, be a little feisty, but if team's on, no one's touching him. I think uh, teams came through a three-setter in his yeah. last match and he against uh, the Spaniard, and he just didn't look at his best. But, again, he's so close, always comfortable on the dirt, and when it Came crunch time in the second and third, he delivered. And that's what he seems to do. Um, again, mixture of power, pace, movement, strength. He's got all the qualities. I think he's going to win the title. Yeah, pretty uh, <laughs> pretty good to say and uh, pretty easy to say based on his past results on that surface. Delray Beach opened the last one. A lot of Americans in there, which is good. I have been a big fan of how Opelka's played. The movement seems like it's getting better. TFO is uh, is down a set right now to, uh, what do you say, to Humbert? We go with Lugo the Umber, yeah. I like his game. I don't yeah. really like how to pronounce his name all the time, but uh, <laughs> and uh, you know the player that we didn't mention just quickly. Your thoughts on Nakashima? Oh my god, this eighteen-year-old from San Diego, yeah. incredibly impressive how he hits the ball. This is his first main draw. This is his first ATP level matches ever. Yeah, he's in the quarterfinals. I know he's played so impressively. He also seems to have a good head on his shoulders. He gets down to business. His forehand, I mean, boy, does he uncork on the ball. I mean, he really produces a wonderful forehand cross court, and it's got pace. He can hit it through the court, it looks like, against anyone. And, again, he's just a teenager. I mean, he's just young, learning how to play, and, is, boy, he's got some real talent. Yeah, well, uh, he's got that match coming up against Nishioka, so that'll be fun for commentators like yourself to just be <laughs> – just be quickly going and through. Nishioka is one of my favorite players in a left-hander, lots of skill. And it. I think Brandon's got a real shot there. I think he does. He does, for sure. Uh, I say this with a little bit of dread. This seems like a Milos tournament to me, the way it's yeah. shaping up. Uh, Opelka could as well. And, uh, you know, TFO looks like he's going down to Humbert right now. But we'll see. A lot of, lot of interesting tennis there, you know. And uh, this yeah. could be a fun one to see how it shakes out. Very unpredictable. Raonic got to the finals once in Delray against Jack Sock. He had to mm. withdraw mm -hmm. in the final, so he wasn't able to get through and, and get into the winner's circle. But Raonic plays Stevie J, and I feel like Raonic is one of those guys, when he gets it going, he is a handful. You know, he's oh. still serving like a beast, and he's pretty all-around game. I mean, he can play. His forehand is a weapon. So I think Raonic has got a great chance to win the title. We'll certainly see. Leif Shiris, this was a blast. Man of many Hall of Fames, we're adding to that list. <laughs> I had to say Roundage was going to win because my wife's Canadian. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Got to stay face with the, with the friends up north. Thanks, Mitch, for being here. Thanks for the Hall of Fame props. That was for nice sure. Of you. Always, always a pleasure. And I say this with, um, with complete honesty. One of the nicest guys here. Props to doing this show. Uh, unfortunately, everybody has their flaws. You are Blackhawks fans, so <laughs> we didn't get to talk about the contract. It's not a good year for the Hawks. <laughs> no. I thought we were going to talk about Stan Makita. We can, Stan Makita, a legend, and a legend. Uh, for, one of the first guys to use a curved stick. Yeah, no, this, and I'm not. I'm saying this to all the listeners out there. You actually know your stuff. <laughs> not like bit, a, not like another athlete that's like, oh, hockey, whatever. Like you know your stuff. Uh, Blackhawks, we'll see. You had three championships, yeah. so no one's really 
you know, feeling sympathy for the down years. The halcyon years. We had some great times. Went to a couple Stanley Cup games in Chicago. Great experiences, man. I love the Blackhawks. Oh, the madhouse at Madison. Well, that's exactly. That's, and the best jersey in the league. Come on. I'll, I'll give you that one. The red is the red's the, the red's, red's nice. Yeah, the red's nice. The first game I ever saw was Toronto and Chicago in Chicago Stadium. The, Chicago was wearing the reds. Toronto their blues. I thought this is the most beautiful game. It was so awesome. Original six. And next yeah. week, we're actually just going to do a hockey podcast. Okay. So I'm re- I'll be go. ready for it. Leave Cyrus, <laughs> Tennis Channel Zone. Thanks for joining the TC Live podcast. You can catch every episode on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Go to tennis.com slash podcast. All the episodes are up there. For Leave Cyrus, I'm Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.